Testing, one, two, three, four. Testing, one, two, three, four. Okay. I think we're back on the air, folks. Uh, had a technical difficulty. Might have had a uh, an unscheduled update from Microsoft. So I think we're on the air. Uh, my voice meter, I'm sorry, the uh, broadcaster, the butt broadcaster. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. Okay, I'm just going to have to start from the top. Won't bother with the intro music. Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, the subject for today's show, since Dan is out of town and won't be joining me today, I'm going to be discussing why the Jews don't believe in the book of Daniel, which is very strange that they don't because it is in the Old Testament, but we know that uh, they don't take, since the Talmud doesn't take the Bible seriously, they don't believe in the laws of Moses. They believe in their own opinions of the laws of Moses, which is called the Talmud. And uh, it's, it's pretty much understandable why the Jews do not accept the book of Daniel. Uh, the most obvious reason why they don't is that they don't accept Daniel's 70 weeks vision in which the prophecy of the coming of Messiah is given in terms of 70 weeks, which is 490 years, given from the decree of Artaxerxes to rebuild the temple down to the exact year 33 AD in which Yahshua Messiah was crucified. And because they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, they delete the book of Daniel from the canon, from their canon. All right, so let's get into it. Why isn't the book of Daniel part of the prophets? The difference between divine inspiration and prophecy by Yehuda Sherpin. And the letter he gets is addressed, Dear Rabbi, I was reading the book of Daniel, which is filled with extraordinary and apocalyptic visions. I was amazed to learn that it is not included in the section of the Bible known as the prophets and that the Talmud does not even consider Daniel to have been a prophet. What am I missing? Okay, so like I just said, they believe in the Talmud, not the scriptures. Again, we are in identity, have got this nailed down. We understand who the Jews are and what they are and why they don't believe in the Bible. Anyway, his answer is, The issue you've raised is certainly puzzling. But before answering it, we first have to ascertain whether Daniel himself was in fact a prophet. It's very clear that Daniel is a prophet. He foretold the coming of the Greeks to Alexander the Great, to Judea. There was so much prophecy in the book of Daniel. He prophesied that... uh, Knowledge will increase in the end times, which we have seen that totally fulfilled. (laughs) Hundreds, literally hundreds of prophecies in the book of Daniel. I think Daniel stands out in the sheer number of prophecies that have come true. But let's continue. On the one hand, the Talmud does explicitly state that Daniel was not a prophet. The Talmud says that. On the other hand, when the Talmud states that only 48 prophets and seven prophetesses prophesied to Israel, 
the sages disagree as to whether Daniel is included in that list or not. What is even stranger, indeed this is strange, is that the remark in the Talmud that Daniel was not a prophet is made in connection with an incident in which Daniel seems to have seen a vision when the three official prophets who were with him did not. Okay, uh, who determines who's an official prophet and who isn't, especially if it's so easily demonstrated that so many of Daniel's prophecies have come true? Anyway, here is rabbinical opinion on the subject. Quote, And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. But the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great quaking fell upon them, and they fled into hiding. Unquote. Who were these men? Said Rabbi Yermiah, and some say it was Rabbi Chia Bar Abba. They were the prophets Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. They were superior to him, and he was superior to them. Okay, that's a puzzler. They were superior to him in that they were prophets, and he wasn't. He was superior to them in that he saw the vision, and they did not. So he saw a vision, but the rabbi says the vision was not prophetic. We must therefore conclude that what distinguishes someone, well, we Jews, we rabbis must therefore conclude that what distinguishes someone as a prophet is not whether he or she has visions, but something deeper and more fundamental. Yeah, how about whether or not the vision comes true? How about that as a deciding factor? While in common parlance, the word prophecy is used to describe visions in general, in truth, there are two different kinds of visions, prophecy and the Ruach HaKodesh, Hebrew for divine inspiration. Okay, so they're saying that what Daniel saw was divinely inspired, but ultimately meaningless, because it doesn't count as prophecy. With prophecy, it is almost as if one sees the revelation gaining an intimate familiarity with the divine, while Ruach HaKodesh is more of a detached, factual kind of knowledge, as shall be explained. Well, so the rabbi says, does he know for sure? Has this rabbi ever had a vision come true? He continues, Some prophets see a vision or a dream of an angel speaking to them. Others see the form of a man or may perceive that God, G-D, himself is speaking to them. And yet others don't see anything. They only hear the prophetic words addressed to them. The prophet may experience that which is heard with the greatest possible intensity, just as a person may hear or perceive a storm or an earthquake. Or the prophet may hear the prophecy as ordinary speech. Or he may be told to write. Hear Moses, write. Dictation. And the Holy Spirit moves the hand. Daniel, write. There are many different levels and types of prophecies, but the common denominator between them is the way the prophet's intellect merges with the divine and transcends the normal powers of the intellect. Oh, yeah, this rabbi is an absolute expert. Thus, when prophets are granted an intimate familiarity with the level of divinity that has been revealed to them, 
their bodies weaken and tremble and their regular senses become confused or paralyzed or they simply fall asleep. Well, interestingly, isn't this exactly what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus? <laughs> he saw vision. It was actually Yeshua telling him, Paul, why do you persecute me? And he trembled, and he was struck blind. So according to this definition, Paul was indeed a prophet. It is for this reason that we sometimes find that the prophet is referred to in the scriptures as one who is acting irrationally. Yeah, well, if you get struck blind, and and you're, and, and I think that's the case with Paul too. He was the only one who saw the vision. The people standing around him were struck dumb. This is not because the prophet lacks wisdom. On the contrary, he or she is connected to God's wisdom, which transcends human intellect. Rather, it is because during prophecy, the people observing the prophet perceive only the void of what they consider to be a rational intellect. They do not, however, perceive how the prophet's mind has transcended the normal human intellect and is merged with the divine. Well, that's what the people standing around uh, Paul they were wondering what the heck's going on with Paul. <laughs> is, is he going crazy? Shall, shall we call the uh, paddy wagon and haul him off to the insane asylum? Those who have Ruach HaKodesh, however, feel as if the divine spirit came upon them. So he's saying that Daniel only was Ruach HaKodesh. He just had some kind of vision, but not a prophetic vision. With it, they receive a new power that encourages them either to take a specific action, speak wisdom, compose hymns, exhort their fellow men to discuss political or theological problems. All this is done while the one with the Ruach HaKodesh is in full possession of his or her senses. Now, this is a really meager distinction because many people who have had visions describe it both ways. They say, I, everything else around me shut off and all I saw was the vision and I was entranced, totally absorbed into the vision and then I woke up from the vision and or dream. Other people say, I was just walking down the street and suddenly I had a flash of insight and I saw a vision while I was walking down the street, still in full possession of my senses as I was walking down the street. The rabbi is saying, it can't happen both ways. It can only happen one way, his way. Let's continue. It is true that the inspiration may sometimes come in the form of a dream, as it does with prophets. There is, however, a difference between the visions experienced by prophets in a dream and those that come through Ruach HaGadesh, as was the case with Daniel. Well, that's his judgment. How does he know? The difference can be seen in how prophets and those inspired by Ruach HaKodesh refer to their visions and dreams. Refer to. Okay. So just because Daniel referred to his vision in a certain way, the rabbi concludes that it's not an accurate vision or not a prophetic vision. Let's continue. When prophets prophesy, he says, they are informed that the vision was a prophecy. Now, hold on a minute here. When John 
was taking dictation from Yahshua to write down the visions that he saw in the book of Revelation. He was told by Yahshua, here, I'm going to give you a lot of information. Write it down for posterity because I want my people Israel to know this. He didn't have to tell him that. He could have just struck him dumb and made his hand write, automatic writing. He could have done it either way. But because John was, in fact, an Israelite of great importance and total faith, that is faithfulness, fidelity, he was chosen for that task. And he was informed that he was being given a prophetic dictation. Didn't have to be informed of that. He could have seen the vision anyway and said, Hey, fellows, I had a vision that just blew my mind. It said, there's going to be all these things happening in the end times. And sure enough, they have been coming true. So, obviously, since this rabbi being a Jew, not accepting the New Testament, he would consider all of the New Testament visions and prophecies to be nothing but mere visions, none of which could possibly come true. So this statement here, when prophets prophesy, they are informed that the vision was a prophecy, and upon awakening, they state decidedly that it was a prophetic experience. This is not always the truth. They don't always say, when Yahshua, again, when Yahshua predicted that the walls of the temple in Jerusalem would come crashing down, he didn't stop and say, and by the way, that prophecy came true 100% down to the last stone. He didn't say, oh, I have just had a vision. Now he gives an example. For example, when Jacob awakened from his prophetic dream of the angels ascending and descending the ladder, he did not say it was a dream. Rather, he proclaimed, Genesis twenty-eight sixteen, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven, unquote. And he later referred to the incident by saying, quote, Almighty God appeared to me in Luz in the land of Canaan, and he blessed me, unquote. Well, here, well, the first statement by Jacob does not indicate that he had a dream. All he said was, hey, this is an awesome place. <laughs> he didn't say that he had a dream. But the second vision, Genesis 48.3, said, oh, he appeared to me. Okay, so he had, saw a vision. Daniel, however, used the language of visions to describe his experiences, even after he saw angels and received knowledge through them, as we can see from the following verses from the book of Daniel. Now, wait a minute. The two examples he just gave, in one case, Jacob said nothing about having a vision. He just said, it's an awesome place. In the second, he did say, God appeared to me. So he had a vision. He was inspired. So let's see what they have to say here. One, then the secret was revealed to Daniel in the vision of the night, 22.19. Two, in the first year of Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream. That's 7.1. Number three, and the visions of my mind terrified me, 7.15. So while it is true that Daniel had visions, they were on the level of Ruach HaKodesh, divine inspiration. 
would that we all had divine inspiration. Therefore, the book of Daniel was made part of the biblical section of Ketuvim, the writings of Hagiographa, and not the Nevi'im prophets. So, the rabbi is saying, they do not consider the visions of Daniel to be prophecy. And his reasoning is, at the very least, questionable. Let's continue. When discussing the difference between prophecy and Ruach HaKodesh, a distinction needs to be made between the levels of divine revelation, how high the chain of emanation between G-D and the man the individual reaches, and the quality of the revelation, how intimate and clear the revelation is to the individual. Okay, this is hogwash, folks. Absolute hogwash. The Bible clearly states that the only way you can tell if a vision, if a prophecy or vision is accurate, is whether or not it comes true. Okay? That's the only qualification the Bible gives. And I doubt that any of these rabbis have ever had a vision or prophecy come true. So he's talking about levels of inspiration that he obviously knows nothing about. He's just giving us his rabbinical uh, humbug opinion. Since the prophet gains an intimate knowledge and familiarity with the level of divinity that is being revealed to him or her, to point to the point that we say that the prophet saw G-D, there is a greater limit to how high of a level of emanation the prophet can see. As G-D told Moses, quote, No man can see me and live, unquote. Well, it depends upon how close you are, right? And how much of himself he reveals to you. And whether or not he gives you divine protection. Because the Bible says very clearly in prophecy that we shall see him as he really is. That's after we get our glory bodies and our uh, earthly bodies won't be burnt to a crisp. With Ruach HaKodesh, however, he says, it is not as if one actually saw or heard something. Really? But he told everybody what he saw and what he heard, and those visions came true. Rather, it is similar to perceiving something with the mind. Therefore, the recipient of this Ruach HaKodesh may sometimes be privy to greater knowledge of the myriad levels and layers of divine emanation, blah, 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 than even the prophet. For the knowledge received through Ruach HaKodesh is similar to the cataloging of facts, the names of different spiritual worlds, and the rules by which they interact. But in the end, he knows only the fact of their existence, Yediat HaMetsuit, Metziot, but he has no real appreciation of their true nature, for he has never, quote-unquote, seen it. Nevertheless, he admits that Daniel saw something. What does he mean when he says that Daniel has never seen it? Again, folks, we can see that Talmudic teaching is nothing but dissimulation, i.e. doublespeak. This rabbi obviously has no idea what he's talking about, certainly not from personal experience, 
and he totally denies the biblical definitions of prophecy and the fact that a prophecy come true, especially when proclaimed in the name of Yahweh. If a vision is proclaimed in the name of Yahweh, it better come true. Let's continue. This, the rabbi says, is what the Talmud means when it proclaims, quote, that a sage is superior to a prophet, unquote. Well, okay, so the sage, wow, oh, oh, now I get it. Now I get it. The rabbis of the Talmud are sages, are they not? You see, they're declaring themselves to be superior to the prophet Daniel or to any other real prophet for that matter. Continuing, for the sage, a sage being a Talmudic rabbi, through Ruach HaKodesh can be privy to levels of insight that surpasses that which the prophets are able to envision tangibly. More doublespeak. And while the sage grasps only facts, nevertheless, it is divinely inspired knowledge of the facts. Of course, the rabbis pro- uh, proclaim that they have divinely inspired knowledge. In fact, they proclaim in their Talmud that Yahweh himself looks over the soldier, soldier shoulder of a rabbi while he studies scripture not to make sure that the rabbi gets it right, but because the rabbi's interpretation is always accurate. And Yahweh himself asks the opinion of the rabbi. Thus speaketh the Talmud. The levels of prophetic revelation experienced throughout a prophet's lifetime are, however, not static. The same prophet can at times experience different levels of prophecy. Ruach HaKodesh, or both. Therefore, even if Daniel had attained to the level of prophecy at one point in his life, he says, it was not in relation to the book of Daniel, which is therefore still considered part of the Ketuvim, the writings. Please see, is the book of Daniel authentic? And do normal Jews believe in prophecy? Well, the fact is, most Jews are actually atheists and could care less. (laughs) So let me address a couple of the footnotes down here to see if there's anything reasonable or accurate among these. Footnote number two. It should be noted that when the Talmud states that only 55 prophets prophesied to Israel, it does not mean that there were only 55 prophets. In fact, the Talmud there tells us that the number of prophets throughout Jewish history was double the number of people who left Egypt. What it means to say is that there were 55 prophets who said prophecies that have relevance to future generations and not just on their own generation. More doublespeak. What does it matter if the prophecy comes true in your own lifetime or whether after you die? Number three. See Halachat Gudalot. Rabbi Shlomo Yitzhak Rashi to Megillah. Okay, again, so you're seeing that the Talmud 
is full of prevarication and opinions often contradictory to one another and therefore ultimately valueless. So all of the volumes of the Talmud, which are nothing but rabbinical opinion, most of which deny the Torah, are contradictory to the Torah. How can their Talmud be trustworthy? It cannot. It's gobbledygook. That's what it is. Okay, now let's get into another study here. This is ohr.edu or Samayach. Ask the rabbi why Jews don't believe in Jesus. Now, the fact is, most Christians do not even bother to investigate whether the Jews don't believe in Jesus or not. And the reasons Jews give why they don't believe in Jesus. They just assume that because they are Jews, that uh, their opinion matters. (laughs) Right? They just make that assumption. And then they also falsely assume that because they are Jews slash Israelites, that they will be converted at the last minute just before the judgment day and be saved. Despite 2,000 years of absolute denial that Yahshua is Messiah. They never bother to investigate the question at all, and therefore they're utterly confused about it, as are the Jews confused about everything as well. Talmudism is confusion to the nth degree. Topic, why why Jews don't believe in Jesus. Contents, why Jews don't believe in Jesus. Uh, headings, I'll only scroll down, I'll just get into it. I won't bother reading the headings. Here we go. Okay, the whoever wrote the message, name withheld. Dear Rabbi, why don't Jews believe in Jesus? Doesn't it say in the Psalms, they pierced my hands and feet? Doesn't Isaiah say, behold, a virgin shall give birth? And isn't it Psalm 61, I believe, 61, 1 and 2, where Yahshua quoted Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, where it says that the prisoners will be let out of prison and the truth proclaimed in Israel. Those are the two verses that Messiah proclaimed at the synagogue in Capernaum. And he closed the book and said, these prophecies are fulfilled in your ears. And he sat down there, say, hey, these prophecies are about me. Here I am. Number one, scriptural references. In order to understand anything in the Torah, one must look at the original Hebrew. You, yeah, indeed, that's what we in identity do. You will see that the Christians distorted, oh, changed and misinterpreted many of the Hebrew words in order to fit things into their beliefs, as if the rabbis don't do that. 
the two places that you mentioned are good examples. In Psalm 22:17, the Hebrew states, "Hikifuni kaari yade veragle," which means they bound me like a lion, my hands and my feet. The Christians translate this as they pierced my hands and feet. Nowhere in the entire Torah, prophets, and writings do the words ka'ari or hikifuni mean anything remotely resembling pierce. Well, it's interesting. I don't have the uh, Septuagint handy because the Septuagint was translated directly from the Hebrew into Greek at the behest of Ptolemy Philadelphus, uh, the reigning pharaoh of Egypt, because he wanted a copy of the Hebrew scriptures in Greek so he could read it for himself. So it would be interesting. And uh, so this, uh, this deserves deeper analysis to whether this claim by this rabbi is actually true. But let me go here. Let me go to the prophecy. I haven't opened my Esword. And Psalm, let's open up Esword to Psalm 2217. And let's see, because it comes with a concordance. And let's see what it says for the word pierce. He may be right. He may be right. Maybe it only does refer to the fact that his hands were bound. (laughs) Well, they were. And then they were later nailed, okay? So here we go. Psalm. Let me find Psalms real quick. Song of Saul. Here we go. Psalms. 22, 7. Okay, let me see if I've got the right one. Is he referencing the wrong verse? Let me go back to the article and see, because I found this very often to be the case that rabbis will make references to certain points of the Old Testament and that it's not the right verse. Okay, so... I guess that was later. Uh, no? Oh, okay. Psalm 22, 17. I beg your pardon. Let's, let me go to verse 17. Which says, <laughs> Oh, come on. It jumped out of the place that I was looking for. I may tell my bones they look and stare at me. That's what, that's what it says in the Esword. Is the rabbi simply lying to us? Let me uh, switch it to Psalm twenty-two seventeen. 17. In Esword, it says, I may tell all my bones They look and stare upon me. Let me go back to the article. Let's see what the good rabbi has to say about Psalm 22.17. He is claiming that Psalm 22.17 states, They bound me like a lion, my hands and my feet. Let me go back to Esword. Psalm 22:17 states, I may tell all my bones 
they look and stare upon me. Is this rabbi simply deliberately misquoting scripture to evade the point? Or is he unable to look up the exact verse? (laughs) Okay, folks, this is incredible. This is absolutely incredible. All right, let's continue. I wonder if the next quotation he makes is an error as well. So Psalm 22:17 does not say anything like what he claims. It's a different verse. Anyway, in Isaiah 7:14, the Hebrew states, I won't try to read the Hebrew. Behold, the young woman is pregnant and shall give birth to a son. The Christians translate this as, Behold, a virgin shall be shall give birth. Yes, and actually in this case I do agree with the rabbi because the Hebrew word can be translated either as virgin or young woman. However, it is given that every young woman, the women of Israel, especially the, young, the, the virgins, and other young women, unless they've been betrothed to a husband, are virgins until they get married, unless they've been raped or had consensual sex. So clearly the verse is saying uh, a, a woman who has n- neither been betrothed or raped shall give birth. And I'm pretty sure the Septuagint actually states virgin. And that would have to be authoritative because that translation was made by 70 sages of Judah. Okay, so here uh, the rabbi, I have to agree with the rabbi, that's correct. The Hebrew word does not specifically mean virgin, but in the context of the lifestyle of the Israelites, and plus it would say, oh, a young woman will give birth. That that would be a an un you know, un how should I put it an uneventful statement. Why would the Bible say it at all? That, yeah, because young women give birth all the time. Why point that out? <laughs> Why even point it out? Yeah, Mary was a young woman. So. Even as stated, it is a point in the direction, hey, there's going to be something special about this woman who gives birth. But let's see what he has to say. The Christians translate this as, behold, a virgin shall give birth. They have made two mistakes, probably deliberate, in the one verse. They mistranslate ha as a instead of the. Now, well, that's interesting. If it says the or the, which particular woman is being referred to? That's actually a good point. They mistranslate Alma as virgin when in fact the Hebrew word for virgin is betula. Aside from the fact that if you read the context of that prediction, you will see clearly 
that it is predicting an event that was supposed to happen and seen by King Ahaz, who lived 700 years before Jesus. Okay, that is a very interesting argument, and he should have given a verse, a reference for that, but he doesn't. So again, we found out in the first reference he made, he doesn't even have the correct verse, because Psalm 22 says nothing, Psalm 22:17 says nothing like, it says, in Esort, and I don't have a, a physical Bible in front of me right now to open up. So I'm going to have to revisit this subject, folks. I'm going to have to revisit it because it's clear that in the first reference, Psalm 22:17, the rabbi is clearly off. In Isaiah 17, 14, or 7:14, rather, I do agree that the word is Alma and doesn't mean necessarily virgin, but the fact that he introduces the word the instead of ha, it says this is talking about a very specific young woman. That could be very important. All right, so uh, number two, genealogy, with only about six minutes left. They claim he was not descended from the house of David. Oh, my God. This is an absolute preposterous lie. His genealogy is clearly given in both the Old and New Testament. And the Canaanite woman said to him, Son of David. She addressed him as Son of David. According to Jewish law, tribal identification comes from the father's side. Well, actually, that's not the case. The Israeli state reckons descent through the mother. According to biblical law, Mosaic law, tribal identification comes from the father's side. The Jews prevaricate on this topic as well. Being a Judahite, not being Jewish, from the... Oh, okay, wait a minute. Let me read the whole thing. Again, this is doublespeak, folks. According to Jewish law, tribal identification comes from the father's side. Being Jewish, on the other hand, from the mother's side. Now, isn't that interesting? So, but the father's side is biblical because whatever tribe you come from and being an Israelite thereby comes through the father's side. But being Jewish comes from the mother's side. Again, he's telling us that Jewish law differs from Mosaic law. According to Matthew 1, Joseph was descended from David although there are many contradictions between his genealogy there and that listed in Luke. However, according to the same text, Joseph did not have sexual relations with Mary. Therefore, Jesus was not related to Joseph and not a descendant of King David. Okay. Very interesting. But there are two genealogies given for Jesus, one through Joseph as his legal father through adoption, 
and one through Mary, who is stated categorically to being a descendant of David. So it doesn't matter whether Joseph was descended from David or not, even though he was. He was descended from David. Both Mary and Joseph were descended from David. So it doesn't matter because Joseph was not, as the rabbi correctly points out, Joseph was not the literal biological father of Yahshua, but Mary was the literal biological Mary, I mean uh, mother, of Yahshua. So if Jewish means Israelite, which according to the Jews it does, then Jesus was an Israelite of the tribe of David. Let's see what else he comes up with. Three answers to this problem are given in classic Christian sources. One, the genealogy is that Mary, this is inadequate, he says, since if he has claimed to be the Jewish Messiah, according to Jewish tradition, he must be descended on his father's side. Mary's genealogy is irrelevant, he says. But the Bible says very clearly that Mary is descended from David through all of these intermediary fathers, which makes her a 100% pure Israelite Judahite, and what comes out of her womb is therefore a Judahite slash Israelite. Period. This is the kind of logic the rabbis prevaricate with. B, he was adopted by Joseph. That's not a problem. That does not affect his birth as a literal descendant of David from Judah. Not, what he is saying is irrelevant. Okay, folks. Unfortunately, the, the first uh, 10 minutes of my showtime went unrecorded. I had a glitch, uh, an audio glitch, and I'm not able to finish this. Maybe... Uh, I'll have to do a, a, a total study of this at another time because we can see how the Jews prevaricate time after time after time and give Jewish Talmudic logic instead of Mosaic biblical logic for their arguments. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition. I will see you next time. Bye-bye.